Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 69 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 4. Our teacher is Alan Smith. We do welcome you here today. And those of you that's joined us online, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're here. And that everyone's made their way here today. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you and to be with God's people. If you uh, happen to be in the Statesville area, driving down, you know, where you get off of 40 to 21 there, you know where the Chick-fil-A is there. If you look right across the road, there's a billboard there. And uh, it's one of those digital signs, you know, big digital. You can kind of what we're wanting to get out here in front of the church here. And there was a... Uh, sign on that digital board flashing. Uh, it was a Pride Month sign. Enjoy your pride. Uh, a few little things like that. And uh, a friend of mine, he actually goes to church here, came to me and said the Lord spoke to him. And he said he's going down there and he saw that pride flashing up and then, you know, it stays up five or ten seconds, and it alternates, and then something else comes up. And so it wouldn't it be nice just to have a Proverbs of pride and the Holy Spirit go before a fall? <laughs> and, uh, well, to make a long story short, which was, uh, wasn't that long a story, uh, that was on a Friday. And it just so happens the other side of that sign came available Monday. You get it for 30 days at a time, and... and uh, so that individual, you go down 21 now, you'll see, you know, oh pride thing. When an altar, then when it comes back around, it's got proverb uh, <laughs> about explaining about what pride really does. <laughs> I thought that was, thought that was pretty good. I, I would call his name, but he does own a gun, so I'll not, I'll not do that. But I thought that I thought that was God. I was hoping He wouldn't do it because I wanted that one. I will tell you right now, it was that had to be God. So, as we get on uh, with the teaching this morning, as in the days of Noah, y'all know my scripture. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It should be well established in you now. That the whole idea of being a Christian, that what's in our minds is that we're always looking for his uh, soon return. And if that is uh, paramount uh, in our thinking, when we approach the scriptures, it's amazing how it will help unlock the New Testament to you because it's written in light of that uh, statement. Uh, also, I had this, uh, I like to have a little quips sometimes in the beginning to get us thinking. And uh, the early, the seven churches, they, to look at a lot of what Christ had against them, he had some things for them, and, but some things against them. Uh, you're, especially the Church of Philadelphia, they had assurance of their salvation, and, but there's a reason. So I thought I'd put this up, this scripture up. How do I have the assurance of salvation? And just like I said, six of the seven churches had a lot of problems. Philadelphia Church had this assurance. It says this uh, in 1 Peter 1, 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, or some translations will say trials. And, he, and so what, he's, what Peter's saying here is uh, you can rejoice for a season, even though you're going through this heavy trial. And so now the beginning question was, how do I have the assurance of my salvation? <clears throat> We've never quite looked at our trials as guaranteeing us and giving us the assurance that we have salvation. Anybody had any trials? I mean, I've said this statement, and it's true. You don't, I didn't have many until I came to Christ. And then all of a sudden, of course, I didn't have many sins either. 
<laughs> so it's according to how you view it. But he says, Wherein do greatly the, if for a season in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then he goes on to say that the trial of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. Can you see that? He's talking about our faith is tried by fire through the trials. Might be founded to praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There again, it's written in light of the second coming of Christ. But what his point here is, is, uh, is that your trials of life, and we all have many, and how we approach it, and that is the enduring through it, is proven to you the assurance of your salvation. It would have been better, perhaps, if he just said, I'll give you a sticker or something, <laughs> you know, to, to have these trials uh, as your assurance. I'm like, you know, wow. Okay. Uh, as the scripture says, God's ways are not my ways. But we do often wonder why we have so many trials, and we're persuaded that it has more to do with the hereafter, even than here, even though it has many benefits to here. But our tr trial to a believer is a test of endurance. And we all know if you're a runner, how do you create greater endurance? You run. And you run, and you run. So uh, my good news this morning is if you have many trials, rejoice, as Peter said, because you have great assurance of your salvation. Now with that in mind, I didn't get a lot of amens on that one. We'll go try another one. <laughs> Now, I'm doing kind of a short summary, and uh, my, my, I just, as I was doing my summary notes, I'm like, man, my summary might go on till, till the second coming of Christ, <laughs> because cause I just, this, the, the things I omitted this morning, I'm like, oh, and it, I just, it tears me up. Now, all the attitudes of the seven churches are found today. We had the seven churches and all the attitudes of the seven churches. We can look around us and we can really, it's, it's not like it's written out of time. It's like it's written in time and on time. The seven churches were churches that had lived beyond the first generation. Now that's, that's important. Anytime you get past the first generation of a business or of anything, it's hard to, uh, I used to wonder how in the world did Israel fall away from God so quickly? Like the next generation or two, here they were off ripping and running again, as Doug Mayberry used to say. They were just off just uh, until I got 70. And then I started saying, well, it's not that hard to do. Now, they were expecting Christ to return very soon. When he did not return, the churches started preparing for a longer wait and settle down into the world once again, but they were still waiting, but settled. So we find ourselves today, we're settled in the world somewhat. We got jobs and we're settled, but still the main thing is we're waiting for His appearing. That psychological and spiritual position is important when you start interpreting Scripture. If not, you're going to interpret Scripture from your position of, I want more things that are here, or material wealth, or, or prestige, or I want to be important among people. All of these things start coming in, but when you're not, when you see, we're not here to stay, we're here to leave. And so it's important to keep that in mind when interpreting Scripture. If you don't want to interpret Scripture, I guess do whatever you want to. But, but so, that's, so therefore we get a lot of wrong interpretation of Scripture because people are interpreting it in light of condoning where they are and they want to stay and they want to whatever. So before them was a task to grow the church in uh, faithfulness until he returned. Now this says this in Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. 
and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Now this is the attitude of the church. This is the cry of the church. It ends up in the last chapter of the book of Revelation. This, this cry of the church saying, come. This has been the cry of the church for 2,000 years. Tomorrow, next week, or the next century, uh, we don't know. Do I, but does everything look like to me that things could wrap up here within the next week or so? It does. It looks like to me it could wrap up. And I know that the Lord would have me view it that way as to prepare my heart properly. It's like a green beret uh, is prepared. He's done all of his study. He's got his gear ready and he's ready to go on just a moment's notice. He's ready to run out the door. And so is the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're to be ready uh, at all times. But at the same time, we're running another storyline, and that is we are in the world, but not of the world. And so as we have this attitude, we can see that tomorrow, or when he does come, could be another thousand years. And God forbid that it would be. But we have to understand that it could be. But at the same time, we're ready to leave in a moment's notice. The church is told to heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour, no man knoweth, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son. But the Father, take ye heed, and it says to do what? Watch and pray. I've done a verses, this verse and others like this before. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. Y'all know the story. Who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. So everybody was working, everybody had a job, but still you were to watch. Watch ye therefore. For ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And I did some uh, research on sleeping. Uh, I can give you my definition of it. I don't know. I ran that puppy and had some pretty good ideas and I... He's more too sleeping than I'm getting. So if anybody gets a revelation on that, on that, uh, you can do a Greek word study there. Uh, so now, how can the church progress in the future? How can we go forward? How can we progress? It is evident that our own country and the world is getting further away from the teachings of the Bible. Pretty evident with that. This should wake the church up. The church today is wondering about its uncertain future. Because as we look around us, we see the seven churches at work. Uh, we, everybody that says they're a church is not truly a spirit-controlled, let's say, church. Uh, then the scriptures uh, encourages us to be sure that your life is not like one of the seven churches. We can fuss about the seven churches, but is the Holy Spirit in control of your life is, is a, the question or the reflection. And we're going to do some reflections perhaps this morning about that. Will it see the events that are in the book of Revelation? That's a good question. And we remember, this is a little bit of a reminder, uh, there were two basic enemies in the churches there. The threat of our own persecution from outside the church, as in the letter of Smyrna. So, as a church sitting here today, you have outside pressures. We see things going on in the internet uh, that the freedom of speech uh, is being definitely challenged, the freedom uh, to be able to speak in this country. 
than the enemy from within the church, such as compromise and false doctrines, as we saw in Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. Christ judged these churches based on relationship, not on some law. And I spoke about that earlier, about the key here is our relationship with Christ not how much of the law or whatever we think we're doing. It's about a relationship. Now, this is the uh, apocalyptic type literature uh, that is in the book of Revelation as we're doing this overview. As we uh, look at it, this type of literature tells us of how much trouble the world is really in. We do not want to deny that. And I, I am... <laughs> There's two approaches people tend to take. One approach is how bad the, the world's getting, and the other one is, well, it's not really that bad. It's doing good. The church is doing great on planet Earth, you know, all of these things. So you tend to have two approaches. Uh, call me wishy-washy, I guess, but I believe both of them got some truth in them, and I, be, I believe both of them flawed. And uh, I, uh, two... I think we have to view truth, and everywhere truth falls, that's just where it falls. I'm not trying to sell you that the world is uh, necessarily going to hell in a handbag, as they say, nor I'm not trying to sell this uh, view that the church is growing, getting better, and we're going to take over the world, And because I'm, I'm not, I mean, I hear the reports, but I, it's not in my world. I, maybe it is in somebody else's. <laughs> But it's not what I'm seeing. But we view it. This is what the literature is about, is how we're in trouble. How society is failing because it has lost sight of its moral, social, political, and economic responsibilities. Now, that's a, uh, not without going into and belaboring it, that's a big statement. Society is failing because it has lost sight of its moral, social, uh, political, and economic uh, responsibilities. And I got them in that order on purpose. How people are walking around in deception. And I'll just have to call it what it is. There, there is a... People are walking around in deception. And um, without the Holy Spirit of God, so would you. So would I. It's not that we're that smart or we're that good a people that keeps us out of deception. And um, the responsible um, non-believer believes that love is uh, the answer to everything. And they'll agree with that. That's one reason you uh, don't stand for anything. You just love everybody and, and, and that... Uh, it just so happens my daddy didn't believe that. But because uh, he tended to uh, tell me how much he loved me when he was had the belt out. And how it hurt him more than it did me. And I, you know, all, all of that stuff. So, so there's a different uh, type of love. And then there's God's love. And we're wanting to look at these. When, when man... When man tries to bring definition to God's love, when lost humanity brings definition of God's love, what they're saying is, God's not doing it right, so watch me. That's what happens. That's the expression. And if you love somebody and they were playing uh, uh, with their friends on the edge of a cliff and were could very easily fall off the cliff, a responsible person would break up the ball game and say, you need to come off the cliff. And if they didn't listen, you might slap a couple of them and say, I said now, right? And the reason you would do that is because you love them. So love has to, to decouple love from truth. You see, God's love is coupled with truth. You see, and honesty. So, if that's the way God operates, and we'll see this more as we study this summary of how God's love and truth go hand in hand. Well, if that's good enough for God, it should be good enough for us. Is that truth is an issue? 
And I have continued, I told you this story a while back, I asked the Lord how I could have a discernment level for what's true and what's not true on news. I was, was my focal point. How can I view news and reports, what's true and what's not true? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, be more truthful. And that hurt my feelings. And I knew that I didn't hear it correctly the first time. Second, third time, I knew it in my heart. He was speaking to me. And I thought, wow, I thought I was truthful. And so anyway, so I've been on this journey now for over a year of the Lord teaching me how to be more truthful in my conversation, in my thinking. It's amazing how, uh, um, how I would negotiate truth in my mind to win an argument. Uh, most of y'all probably cannot identify with that. But I would negotiate on trying, in other words, you're negotiating truth on how to convince your opponent of your position. And you're always taking this truth, you're ne negotiating it. And the truth is God says this and he says this and he loves us and he just looks at us directly. Something happens to the truth when you negotiate it. And what, one of the things I saw in the Word of God, when man negotiated God's Word, it got watered down. Always got watered down. So it led me to a position of just saying what God's truth says, whether I understand it or not. And I'll even go as far as to say that whether I believe it or not. Uh, because I know God said it and it's true. I have this particular hermeneutic, I call it, a, a biblical hermeneutic for me personally. Y'all have heard me say it before. And that is once God says something, it just is. It, it, he said it, well, it is. So that, then I've got to work that into my theology somehow. You see, because I did have a, a theology one time that would say that God doesn't heal today. And I could take Scripture and prove it to you. I could show you where it started and where it stopped and about what time it was coming, if it did, you see. And, and, but yet, uh, God had me, He loved me so much that He took me through a situation uh, that forced me to say, uh, God heals. And I say forced because He just totally forced me. Only a complete idiot wouldn't have agreed with what He did with me. <laughs> That's all I can say. And you can tell I still haven't quite got over it. <laughs> it's been 30 years. And uh, so I so appreciate God doing that, and I kind of don't like it too. But I'm convinced that He will. He loves me so much that uh, it just so happens He was going to put me in front of people talking about Him. And so He... Uh, and I've told this honestly, this is this truth. I'm, this is embarrassing, but God has drugged me through the Christian life. He has totally drugged me through the Christian life. And then finally, I'll agree with him. And, uh, and I do appreciate it, but then there's part of my soul that has a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, God, how can I trust what I know if you're going to correct me all the time? And he said, you can't trust what you know. You can only trust me. And so you see, he's always got this comeback. Has anybody noticed that? He always got this famous comeback. Now, the book of Revelation has more relevance now than it ever has. Now, the future of the world is, is, is of great concern. I'm going to speed up here just a little bit. You can see my two pictures there. This is... Uh, Pictures of the impact of man's poor decision-making with the environment, social issues, wars, uh, shaping a world uh, we may not desire. And I put that up there because as I look around us now, and uh, I'll not get into the war of Ukraine and all this sort of stuff, that, that uh, lest I get out of the spirit while I'm preaching. Uh, but this, all of this stuff is... Uh, the very people are for a clean environment have wars going on all the time. Now, you have no, you wouldn't believe what that does to the environment, much less human life. Okay? I'm just saying, I'm not going to say no more. So, the roles that countries play in the world look like one big bully after another. Now, something's wrong with that picture. 
And we need to stand back and say, there's something wrong with that picture. Now I'll go into this other one here. If you're trying to figure out what that picture is, that's a robot fist and a human. And that's the idea there. We find a world where artificial intelligence was once very helpful, but is now being used against its citizens. To me, that's concerning. That's, that's, that's very concerning. We're finding that individual freedoms are dwindling. Now, we're, lest I, we get thrown off YouTube for me talking about a particular virus. <laughs> we are finding a world that can be locked down over a poorly handled health crisis causing economic failures worldwide. There again, I'll just call it like I see it. And... Uh, so there, uh, the title of this slide is The Future of the World is a Great Concern. And I just threw up a few there. But so it's a place of great concern. As a church and as a Christian, it is pressures us into having a greater relationship with God than we've ever had. I, I'm of the persuasion that where my relationship is today is not going to be adequate for me in six months. I'm just under this thing. I'm like, come on now, Alan. Um, if you think you've been drugged thus far, just wait on the next one, you know. And so, uh, but I want to be very teachable by God. And I don't know about you guys, but with me, when I use the terminology of God's drug me all the way, it's because he's breaking me of a previous. It's not like I get this brand new revelations. It's like God's always breaking a previous to, to insert truth. And a lot of times it's not that I even believed it that wrong as much as he wanted me to have a greater revelation of what I was believing. Can you hear what I'm saying? And so as Christians, we're constantly wanting to move uh, to move forward. So as I look at the world, I can't deny what I'm seeing. Uh, and now there's different viewpoints of this also as we'll look at. My question is, are we creating a monster? Of course, here we go into the book of Revelation. Many are wondering if we are at the beginning of a great apocalypse of the end times. Now here I th gave you, a, this is a famous portrait of the four horsemen. Because as we get into summarize the book of Revelation, uh, to summarize it, we've got the seven churches down pretty well. We understand what they represent, the attitude of the local church, uh, what it would look like. You can also go to Matthew chapter 13, and there you have these parables. And these parables, you've got these seven parables, and they'll basically line up with the seven churches. It's amazing how, or, or they, the seven parables will line up with the description of the seven churches. You know, uh, you know the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? You know that parable, and it says, it says, you know, you got the wheat and the tares, and 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 he says, don't pull up the tares lest you pull up the wheat with it. When you look at the church, seven churches, Revelation, you, it's talking about wheat and tares, you see. And there's one thing about, I've told you this before, we'll not get into it at all, but uh, I ask you a question. I'm, I'm not going to make a statement. Were you one day a tare that got born again into a wheat? Yes. So he says, don't pull them up until the end of the age and the angels will pull them up. Now, I'm leading you into a, another question. Do we allow homosexuals to come into our church house and be with us? I kind of beat it around the bush on that one, didn't I? <laughs> you all like my slow approach? <laughs> That's a question that a lot of people are asking. It's a big debate among churches. Do I? Do we? Uh, do we uh, embrace homosexuality as a lifestyle as a church? Of course not. We also don't embrace you lying and stealing. 
or you have an affair on your husband or wife. We don't embrace any of that stuff. And do we have people in places of transitions? The answer is yes. If a homosexual comes in here, I welcome them in if you want to know what I'm going to do. I want to say come right on in and show them where to see. If they're going to, to come in, homosexual, lesbian, and they want to hug and kiss and carry on in the sanctuary, I'm going to say no. If you keep that up, you're going to have to leave. Just like we would anybody else. Right? Because this is sitting in the place. It's not, we do have a little standard in here. We don't necessarily wear suits and ties. And women do wear breeches. But we do have a few little standards, whether they be God or not, who knows, but we do have some. But as far as the sinner, will we let the sinners come to church? The answer is yes. Now we can keep running that thing down to some personal some situations to where you're going to have to call in the elders to make a decision. We're not asking everybody in this room to make a decision for this local assembly, for God has set elders here to make those decisions. I'm just one of those, and that's my opinion that I've made known. Of course, I think probably everybody knows that, but, I, but at the same time, I am really serious about this one. We better have the presence of God in this place so strong, so thick that sin has to holler when it walks through these doors. And we're not there yet. Can you hear me? We're just not there yet. Do I want to be able to call everyone in? The answer is yes. But do we want to call everyone in so that we're all find conviction, repentance? The answer is yes. Are we there yet where I feel safe? No, we're not. It's not up to me feeling safe, but I don't think we're quite there yet. As a congregation and as a church, it's my prayer that we take God more serious at His Word and our own personal Christian life as, as a testimony unto God. Because the love of God comes with truth. I know in revival, I had with Jeff, Roland, and myself, and at Shiloh, uh, I don't know how in the world it got started, but there was a, there was a uh, topless club in Hickory. And some lady invited one of the ladies that worked there to come, and she came. And, and, and she was questionable to be acceptable in her attire. She, it was questionable. The level of revival was so high, I don't know if too many people even noticed. Can you hear that? I, that's hard to say, but I mean, it's hard to believe, I know. Because religious spirit's going to catch you real quick. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit is amazing. And um, third time she was there, she got born again. Uh, she quit her job, uh, brought her sisters and... And we ended up, I forget how many at that topless club in Hickory got, well, ladies got saved, and they, when they, they kept bringing them from the topless club to, to Shiloh. And it was awesome. And I tell that, and I know they say, well, Alan, you're making that. I'm really not. It was the truth. But in, but in that, but there was a revival spirit there. It was just so dynamic. It did two things. To those that were right with God, you couldn't stay away. And to those that weren't right with God were drawn by the Spirit. So therefore, you can judge yourself by how eager you are to get here every Sunday. Boy, I can't wait to get down there. Or if you have to make yourself come. There's a can, can you hear what, can you read between the spiritual lines of what I'm sharing with you? And, and, and me too. Me too. Because I have a responsibility to speak. You don't think there's not some Sundays? I'm like, oh no, I've got to get this together again. Yes, there, there he is. But as soon as I start studying the Word of God, I get revved up. I can't wait to be here. 
And by Sunday morning, I'm, 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 I'm ready. But as Christians and believers, I remember the day. And there's some in here, Janine, Mike, that were with us there. You couldn't run us off. You'd start church Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. You'd try to leave at 1 or 2 o'clock. Half the people left. You had church Sunday night then. You started at 7. You'd be there at 5.30. You'd just go home and eat and come back. you say, well, we ain't got time for that. We didn't have time then. But you just couldn't stay away. The presence of God was incredible. Church started at seven. People were in there worshiping and praying and singing. You didn't know if you were late or not. My point is this. We are to have the stance of inviting everyone in because we know something. Two or three trips in here and they're, they're ours. They're the kingdom because the presence of God. Now, there can be, hey, this is, please hear me here. I'm asking you to receive that on faith. Now, faith is something that can only operate outside of the natural mind. The only way it can operate. When you operate in faith, you're operating in futuristic thinking. You're operating, you can't, the, the, you can put together and simulate what I just told you in your mind, but it will not generate the spiritual pull that I'm talking about. But if you apply faith to it, faith is what is the creative factor. If you'll add faith to what I said and not just head knowledge to what I said, oh, that sounds pretty good, Alan. If you'll add faith to it, that faith is a creative act that causes that spiritual realm to break into the natural realm. So I just beg you, don't let it just hit your mind. Apply faith to what I said, whether you like me or not. Test what I say. What I say is that's of the Lord. Just test it. Add faith to it. And that faith is what's created. And it'll create a substance of things that you can't see. And what that's got to do with creating a monster, I don't know. But it says many are wondering in the beginning. Okay, what was happening there with us in that revival time? And I, and I, I wonder if God, and I said this even two weeks ago in prayer to the Lord, Lord, I, I just don't think that as a church, surely pursuing revival all the time is not the right answer. We need to settle down. I got kids to look after and families to look after. We need to settle down and uh, look after the needs of people. And uh, I was in that little spot for two or three days in prayer. I don't know if I was trying to convince myself of what I was doing, but that's what I was praying. Because <laughs> it sounded reasonable to me. And uh, at the end of my prayers, and then I start studying for this week's teaching, it's like... <laughs> That's nothing but flat-on revival is going to pull us out of this mess. And, and, and a flat-out revival will produce what I was praying for in the, the week before, looking after everybody. And, right. and, you know, it, it, it just produces it. That's right. And um, when we find ourselves. Now, let me go on. When we read this revelation, we start seeing things from a heavenly viewpoint. So we can say, all right, the end of, we're at the end of time or whatever. That's, a, that's, a, that's not an exciting message. The end of the world is near. I mean, come on. That's not an exciciting message. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, you got to get to the rest of the story. But that's not an exciting message. It's the end of the world, especially if you got children, grandkids that are growing up. And, and uh, uh, it's hard for people to get, you know, put on a billboard and flash out there, come hear this church, come teaching on the end of the world. I mean, <laughs> you know, that it's not going to draw the crowds, I don't think. But when we look at the book of Revelation, that it's. Uh, the end of the world, we're bringing a lot of our own worldly ideas to the table of what the end of the world looks like. Yeah. 
And, what, and what's the true definition of that? That's what I want us to see here. Because it says in there, whoever reads this book, there's a blessing in it. That's, that's what the book says. And so we want to find what that is. And, and the thing is, we want to see it from a heavenly viewpoint. It can appear to us that there's nothing but incredible destruction, but there is more. There is more. Now, there's four main approaches of interpretation. I'm going to throw in there right quickly. Uh, one is a preterist view. Now, the preterist view is a Christian eschatological view of belief that interprets some partial preterism, you call it, or full preterism. Prophecies of the Bible as events which they have already been fulfilled in history. Preterism holds that ancient Israel finds its continuation or fulfillment in the church uh, at the destruction of Jerusalem. That's also called, uh, anybody tell me the name of that one? Replacement theology is what that is. It's saying that the church is the continuation. Israel got destroyed in 70 AD, so therefore now the church has taken over the position of Israel. And that comes out of a more of a preterist viewpoint. And you can go down through the d denominations. I guess I could teach you or show you that perhaps. But of the different denominations that most, I'd say 50, 60 percent of Christendom is, has a preterist view that this book of Revelations already happened. And so therefore, we're in a position that we keep giving the gospel and the world's going to become better and better and better and then Christ returns. In other words, uh, partial preterists believe he'll still actually come uh, for a thousand years. They have to do a lot of spiritual calisthenics to make that one work, but that's a partial. Then you have some... Uh, most preterists believe that the second coming of Christ is when you received him in your heart. You see, that's the way that is that is viewed is the second coming. Uh, the other one's a hi historic view. And this method of interpretation is Christian eschatology, which associates biblical prophecies with actual historical events, identifies symbolic beings uh, with historical persons, uh, it implied that the book of Revelation is by many writers, traditionally the historic view of the seven seals and the apocalypse, spanned the time period from John of Patmos to early Christendom. However, contemporary uh, historians view all of Revelation as it relates to John's own time. So therefore, they're still preterist for the most part. Then you have another one, a futuristic view. Futurism is a Christian eschatological view that interprets portions of the book of Revelations, Ezekiel, Daniel's future events as literal, physical. Uh, it's just all of it's all of it's in this destruction uh, series, which I would uh, love to do. Uh, by comparison, other Christians' eschatological views interpret these past, uh, passages as past events in a symbolic, uh, historic context or a present-day events in a non-literal uh, and spiritual concept, which is called idealism. And then you have uh, the context of Christian eschatology, idealism, also called the spiritual approach, and these uh, allegorical approach. Uh, the non-literal approach and many other names involves a interpretation of the book of Revelation that sees all or most of the imagery of the book as symbolic. So this is where you take the scriptures, you're basically turning everything symbolic. Idealism uh, com common among Reformed theologians, I'll not call any names there, you probably know them, and it is associated with uh, millennialism. Uh, there exists a degree of idealism. The most radical form sees it as entirely symbolic, while a more moderate view may allow for some historical fulfillment of events. So when you get to the book of Revelation, Daniel, all of these are spiritualized. Uh, anyway, this is my hermeneutic for interpretation. When God says something, it has been created for eternity. It's just there. It's just there. Now, here, here's another thing that I tend to go by. The literal and the spiritual are both true. When you look at Scripture, one says, All right, it's just a literal application. Well, no, it's a, it's a spiritual application. Well, the truth is, the Bible says both of them are true. I don't know why everybody's arguing over one or the other. And uh, so uh, the natural reflects the spiritual, and the spiritual reflects the natural. 
I mean, you're sitting in a seat. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 declares there's seats in heaven. People will be sitting in a seat. Well, the first seat wasn't here. It was in heaven. We're sitting in the second. We're sitting in a copy of a seat, of a chair. You're sitting in a copy of a chair. The first one uh, was in heaven. So when it says that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that's a spiritual. I mean, both of them is true. I don't know why it's such a hard jump to make both of them true. What happens is you want to pick one or the other, and so you can say the other one's not true. Maybe it takes a little more homework if you say they're both true. I don't know. But the truth is they, they're both true. And so that's kind of how I approach Scripture right there, and it's not that I'm necessarily the originator of that. It's because I believe that, and I'm sure and others do too. Now, as I move forward, y'all know my little... Uh, diagram here, the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, uh, and the seven vials or wraths of God. Uh, some called it sisters. But as we look at this, you see the seven churches and you see the church of Laodicea. And I have been teaching you to test that the seven seals are during the Laodicea church age. So you see, you got the seven churches, and you know I've taught you how it's got different time periods. And Laodicea is the day we're living in. I mean, come on, that one's that's an easy one. But for Bible study, you'll view the seven seals happen in the Laodicea age. So that's in, so we see that the seven seals have already begun. Uh, now I want to put this scripture up there. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out of those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, I put therapeutical pause there. See that? So, so you got prophecy, I'll pour out my spirit. Now, this is a prophecy of Joel. And we know starting at 18, all my servants and handmaids, I'll pour out my spirit and in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Documented, we know that's happened. It appears that there's been what's called, and this is hermeneutically, this is, this is what happens through Scripture. You have to do it everywhere. It's parenthetical. God just sticks in another thought. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth, vapor, smoke. All right. We're somewhere, white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse, martyrs. We're somewhere between martyrs and earthquake. That's where it looks like to me we are. So I have people that say, well, Alan, you're pre-tribulation rapture. But I've heard you say you believe the four horsemen's riding. I said, yeah, I am. And uh, I said, if, the, if I'm wrong, I'm going to catch the last horse. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, that's a little joke here. So what happens is... I believe, if you want to know where we are in this timeline, I think we're somewhere between uh, the last of the fifth seal, uh, first of the sixth seal. Now, you can see when the trumpets, these seals enter in Laodicea church, well, the seven trumpets are in the seventh seal. It's just a little, it's, it's easy to see, but I'm just trying to, to prep you for a little bit of knowledge going forward. So the hail, fire, blood, mountain into the sea, star falling from heaven, locusts from the pit, heavenly bodies darkened, angels of destruction, and then it's Jesus' return. So do I think that those main things scripturally have happened yet? No, I don't. Now, preterist viewpoint is all that's happened. You see all that happened back in, uh, before, most non-preterists believe that John wrote the book of Revelation around 90 A.D. Preterists changed it years ago to 67 A.D. Because if you're a preterist and it all happened at the destruction of Jerusalem, you got to change when John wrote it. You see, you got to be pre, uh, and I mean, you know, whatever, maybe, I don't, who, who really knows? So anyway, I think that's about where we are, and we'll come back to that more. The backdrop of the book is about spiritual warfare. So when we go out of, uh, into chapter 4, if you look at it and you start moving on, it, the backdrop of that book, what's happening is spiritual warfare. And I think it's very important for the church to understand. It's one reason John wrote it to the seven churches. 
Revelation 6, 1 through 8, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I showed you which I believe were between seal 5 and 6 or somewhere thereabouts. And I understand a lot of you in here might believe different, which I think it's, uh, that doesn't bother me at all because I'm hoping I'm wrong if you want to know the truth. Um, and I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and as I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And that's not the Lord there. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. There went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat there on to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was a, a given to him a great sword. So we see these things happening. But these horsemen truly has been riding for 2,000 years. You see, that's what we see. That's the reason I say, see, a preterist says, all right, all that's been completed. And I'm like, well, somebody needs to inform Satan. He didn't get that memo, you see. Because <laughs> it's still going on, you see. And, and so, and, and there again, in a lot of the arguments that I've read, they're saying, well, no, the world's better now. It's not really as bad. Everybody should say it's bad and all this. I'm like, wow. I, I am way off base here with what I'm seeing. I just need to milk cows. So, as we view, and I, and I want to bring some other views to the table. And, and you, you'll, you'll pro I'm sure you'll catch I'll be a little biased towards mine, but I'm making a disclaimer. I'm asking you uh, to test everything I say. And uh, you test it. Let the Holy Spirit show you what you need to see. And I've spent over the years many hours on it. And uh, I don't know. I'm not that impressed with where I'm at right now, but this is where I'm at. So I do know this. Though. You can take some of what I'm saying is from the Lord. And that is that view from four on, start viewing it as a spiritual warfare scene. And that's what's going on. And that'll, yes, you'll, that'll help you understand because he's writing it to those churches. Okay. Good. Now, with all that good news, let's stand and I'll pray and see if we can ask the Holy Spirit to come back in here. Okay. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the power of your spirit. Lord, you know our deal. If there's anything that I've said that's of you, I pray that it'll be quickened to our hearts as truth. If anything's not, I pray it'll fall to the ground. And Lord, give us enough understanding and wisdom to study these things out, to be like Bereans, as you said in the scriptures, to study these things out and see if they're true. Thank you for everyone that's come this morning, Lord. I pray that everyone will be blessed, that they're here. I pray that, oh God. I pray that we will leave with something supernatural in our lives that changes our lives. Lord, don't leave us just where we are, we pray. <laughs> Come change our hearts and our minds. Fill us with your spirit. Give us revelation. Let us, oh God, not know ourselves a year from now. You've changed us so that we might truly walk in the power of a resurrected Christ. Be with us as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.